Hey, I'm Miles. And I'm Alex. And we got big news this week. We're going to be reviewing about the CMC topic to start our first topic off. So as you all may or may not know, Christian McCaffrey got traded from the Carolina Panthers to the 49ers. And the 49ers, they're already known for having the explosive offense and a ton of weapons. And now they just added CMC to their arsenal. Uh, the trade details include Carolina giving up CMC to San Francisco. And that's all they gave up. And San Francisco gave Carolina four picks. Uh, they gave them a 20, uh, 2023 second round pick, 2023 third round pick, and a 2023 fourth round pick, along with a 2024 fifth round pick. So four picks for CMC, uh, two two second day picks and two early third day picks. Uh, now the notable weapons for uh, San Francisco and their new offense is going to be Debo, who's a wide receiver, and you know he was previously schemed as a running back. We'll see how that impacts, uh, or the, we'll see how CMC impacts that. Kittle at tight end, Brandon Ayuk at wide receiver, uh, Kyle Juszczyk, the best fullback in the league, and CMC popping into that running back slot. That sounds dangerous. The only issue with that is going to be quarterback. I think this is going to heavily impact the Niners' offense, and I think this was also a good way for Carolina to officially start their rebuild. You know, they also booted off Robbie Anderson, uh, and they're just getting a ton of picks to, you know, kind of build up a new young core. It won't be that expensive, so that's what Carolina's going to do from this, and, you know, getting four picks for CMC, who's quite the injury-prone player the last couple of years although very talented and almost offensive player of the year. I think they're pretty good with that. Yeah, I have two main questions just about this trade in general. You've already touched on it a little bit, but my first question is, what does this mean for the Panthers' mentality this season? And as we've seen with the Robbie Anderson, he had a viral temper tantrum, this one game where he didn't get any targets, and he took it out on the coaches, and he was in a big yelling match with some of the wide receiver coaches. And eventually, that was his... Uh, time with the Panthers, and he was done after that. Uh, along with that, they've had some QB difficulties. They've had a pretty bad defense this year, so they're showing a lot of dysfunction along with the Matt Rule coach firing, which is the headline of all of that. Yeah. I just don't know where the Panthers are going to go from here because I just don't know what this what they're building on. I like the fact that they're getting picks for a rebuild, but I don't feel like they have a main building point. They could build around rookie quarterback Matt Corral, but he hasn't had any playtime this year. We don't really know what we're getting out of him. So my main question is, if you're going to be in a rebuild, what are you going to like rebuild around, if that makes sense? For example, in Jacksonville, they knew they had Trevor Lawrence. That was going to be their starting point. They're going to build around Trevor Lawrence, and they're going to build an offense around him, and then provide him with weapons, and then build a defense off of that. And they've done that successfully, but they also had to find the right head coach for that. And right now for the Panthers, it seems like they don't have the head coach, they may not have the general manager, and they don't have the weapons nor do they have the capabilities on offense or defense. Um, one more question that goes into the Panthers' mentality is, will DJ Moore, their star wide receiver, be next on the trade block? Uh, he's had multiple 1,000-yard seasons. He's had a 1,000-yard season in every single one of his years. He's been in the NFL. He's been a very productive player. And they're arguably their best player on offense when CMC is not there. So I'm curious to see if they're going to trade him, depending on how they view this rebuild. Um, and my second question is going to have to be, how does this affect the 49ers and their playoff hopes? Right now, they're looking okay, but they have been a little bit ineffective in the run game without the running back Elijah Mitchell. Garoppolo is a solid quarterback. I think people hate on him a bit too much, 
but he definitely benefits from a run game and a lead. And I think CMC, along with some hard-nosed run blocking from Kyle Juszczyk, will be very, very good for the 49ers. And it's good to have a running game going into the playoffs. Yeah, about the Carolina situation, them completely blowing up the team. Well, not they haven't completely blown up the team because they have DJ Moore. Uh, I think that I think they're actually going to keep DJ Moore because they just paid him twenty million, and I, there have been reports about them not wanting to shop DJ Moore. So I think he's going to be one of the only players that we're going to see return to this Carolina offense. Uh, yeah, quarterback. They did invest a third round. They did invest a third round pick into their future quarterback. Why not put him out if you're already breaking the season? If your goal is to just get a low pick, just put your rookie quarterback in. You know. Uh, so Carolina, the only thing I really know about them thus far is I think they want to keep their wide receiver who has a thousand yards, DJ Moore, uh, and I think they want to get that first pick. So I think that's why they made all these pivotal decisions in the past two weeks like firing their head coach, Matt Rule, getting rid of their deep threat, Robbie Anderson, and getting rid of their best player, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and they got some picks out of that, and they have a head coach spot that they can fill this offseason. So it would be interesting to see where they could go off of that. Uh, time will tell. And how this impacts Carolina is in a division that was once, like, unanimously the best division in football now it's kind of having a bit of difficulties uh they just added the newest weapon to that division and that is a offensive player of the year candidate uh who almost won it in 2019 cmc he's certainly going to make a big fuss in that run game i think Debo's certainly happy of that because one of his main concerns about this season was not wanting to be used as a running back and getting his body beat up too much so i think that's going to help out the Debo situation uh, and overall, I think CMC could truly bring new light into this under, otherwise underperforming 49er offense. You know, they scored 11 points uh, in that or they scored 10 points in that game against the Broncos uh, in prime time, which everyone remembers being a very, very hard game to watch. So I think the 49ers are going to get new light in their offense with Christian McCaffrey, adding someone who can be very util- utilizable in the pass game. And obviously he can be a great running back, too. So. I think that's heavily going to impact their offense, and I think they'll have a brand new weapon to add. I think they'll have a brand new weapon to add. But another question I want to propose real quick is they have no picks. They traded their first-round pick this year in exchange for Trey Lance, someone who is injured for for the remainder of the season. Uh, They have no second. They have no third. They have no fourth this year. They have no fifth next year. Not looking good if if this season doesn't work out, but I think they're all in right now. So time will tell. Yeah, I feel like for the past few years, especially ever since that Chiefs Super Bowl that the 49ers came close to winning but did not quite win, they've been in a win-now situation. They knew they could win and they could get to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo because they've already done it once, but they've still been in a win-now situation, and they tried to basically get a different answer and basically make their offense a little bit more explosive by getting Trey Lance at quarterback. And by measurables... That could be amazing. He's, you know, he's large. He's had a great arm. He can run the football well. He's a big body. But he really has not clicked in this offense, no matter how hard that Kyle Shanahan has tried and made him, you know, more confident as a runner and try to scheme him plays or easier pass plays, easier run plays. It doesn't really seem like he's clicking. And then he got injured. Um, I think possibly a bit of misuse on Kyle Shanahan's part as well. But they can get back to the Super Bowl and they can make a run in the NFC, which is the weaker division this year compared to the AFC. 
I think with a strong run game, they can really, you know, they can really assert their dominance and they could possibly make it to the NFC Championship and maybe to the Super Bowl. I think that CMC was maybe their answer. And as you said before, this offense, sorry, this offense, this division, uh, the NFC West is not as strong as it used to be. The Cardinals don't look that good. I think the Seahawks are overperforming heavily. I think that Gino is going to bust eventually. And I think that they can really take control. Oh, certainly. And that uh, concludes our CMC topic. Time will tell on that. Uh, interesting situation. That is the first major trade of the season. Our next topic is going to be reviewing last week's upsets. We had three topics that are, we had three, we have three games down that were uh, upsets in last week's games. Miles is going to kick us off or kick it off for us. So we'll see you like. Yeah. So week six was full of a lot of upsets. A lot of these games, not a lot of people predicted, but the first game I think was probably the closest game and perhaps the one that everybody, you know, expected to be close. However, the eventual winner was not what the spread basically predicted, and that was a Giants win over the Ravens. So the late, late uh, defensive performance by the Giants eventually sealed this game. Uh, there were two late turnovers by Lamar Jackson, one an interception thrown to Julian Love, which eventually led to a Giants touchdown drive. And then on the final drive of the game, Kayvon Thibodeau has a winning strip sack. It's by far his biggest play. He's a Giants first-round pick, and this is the biggest highlight of his young career so far. But in this game, it eventually shows that the Giants are able to sustain themselves with strong teams. They were able to keep the Ravens a high-powered offense, 20 points, and they were also pretty efficient on offense. The Giants, although they had less total yards, were far more efficient on third down, which meant that they were keeping the chains moving. They were putting themselves in third and long very often. They were often in third and manageable, which is a very, very notable thing. And Daniel Jones had another clean game. He had 200 yards passing, two touchdowns on 70% completion percentage. And Saquon had another strong game. He finished out the game with a, a good garbage time run, which eventually sealed the game away on a 20-yard run. And he smartly sat down inside the five to chew the clock rather than score a touchdown. So the Giants keep on proving people wrong. How about the Giants this season, man? Brian Dable seems like a QB whisperer. Obviously, he played a big role uh, in Buffalo with Josh Allen becoming such a good quarterback and probably the MVP this season, at least thus far. And, you know, Daniel Jones is having quite the turn. A lot of people counted him out this season, 200 yards with two TDs and 70% completion percentage. That's pretty damn good. And nonetheless, he's been doing that all season. Saquon's been performing. It's good to see Dable has revived uh, the the old... Uh, the old Giants rushing game, which used to be elite, but, you know, was bad for a few seasons due to injuries and offensive line play. But otherwise, Giants look good. Ravens, you need to do a bit better than that. Their fourth quarter struggles have been the backbone of this team, and that has been the plague of them. They have been constantly ridiculed for that, and this is just another one to add to the list. Poor performance by the Ravens, great performance by the Giants. Yeah, moving into our next game, this is a very, very unlikely one. The Steelers were able to come uh, come by the Bucks 20-18. to 18. Um, There was a viral rant on this game where Tom Brady uh, was yelling at his offensive line. That pretty much sums up the day and sums up how Buccaneers fans felt losing to the Steelers. Uh, the defenses on both sides stepped up and shut down the run. 
both these teams were not able to go over 60 yards rushing in this game. And uh, one of the bigger storylines from this game was Kenny Pickett was benched in favor of Mitch Trubisky, who was able to win the game for the Steel City in the end. But this kind of creates a larger quarterback question because Pickett was, uh, he was brought off the bench when Trubisky got benched earlier this year. And now the same exact thing happened. So the question is, you know, who's going to be your guy? When you have two quarterbacks, as famously said, you really have none. When you have a quarterback controversy where you have two guys switching back and forth, do you really have one quarterback? And do you have one quarterback that your team can rally behind is going to be the main takeaway from this game. But overall, it was a very interesting game. This game looks pretty sloppy on the scoreboard, but there were no turnovers. However, there were 10 punts. But this is overall just... The Steelers flexing how good their defense is, and perhaps some questions about the Bucks. Oh yeah, that was such a good game for the Steelers. Yeah, the Bucks have been struggling this season. Uh, they've been underperforming. They've been one of the scarier teams this year, but their defense doesn't look as scary, and their offense certainly doesn't look as scary. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky was nine of twelve that game, and he did come on uh, for Kenny Pickett. Uh, who's had a, a rough a rough start to his career, but nonetheless, Mitchell Trubisky came in with 144 yards and a touchdown and stole this game from Tampa. Uh, it's it's been good for Mitch. Uh, I think he really uh, I think he earned back the locker room. You could see it. once the game was done, a lot of the teammates were coming up back to him. So you know about that quarterback controversy. I think he might have the chip uh, with the teammates' edge. But yeah, he came he came in and you know he had his shot and he took it good for uh good for mitch trubisky felt bad for him in the chicago years but it's good it's good to see him have this uh success against such a successful team in tampa bay that moves us into our third game that i want to talk about this one this one was a huge upset the jets were able to beat the packers at home 27 to 10 the story here is the run game though Although the Jets have Zach Wilson back, they pounded the rock today. Brees Hall had 116 yards alone, while the Packers had 70 yards of rushing as a whole. Overall, the Jets had 180 yards on the ground, and um, the Packers eventually just weren't able to overcome that, especially in a late uh, punt muff that eventually sealed the deal. And it really looks like there's nobody for Aaron Rodgers to throw to in games like this. He doesn't really seem like he's taking very many risks, but that also has to do in part with him not trusting his receivers and also not wanting to turn the ball over. We know Aaron Rodgers is not a very turnover-heavy quarterback, but part of that has to be to his play style in games like this. He won't always take chances, and that leads to him obviously not throwing interceptions, but that also means that sometimes his team won't move the ball very productively. But to his, uh, to his defense, there wasn't really much offense around him. I mean, A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, neither of them can get anything going, and I failed to see any receivers in this game really make any separation on those Jets DB. Yeah, uh, for the Packers, that lack of uh, receiving talent has really come back to bite them. Uh, and one very questionable thing that LaFleur did this game is he didn't really utilize Aaron Jones as much as Packers fans would have liked him to. Uh, Aaron Jones had just nine carries on the day, and he looked decent in the carries he had, and A.J. Dillon wasn't really working out. So if the pass game wasn't working out and A.J. Dillon wasn't working out, it makes you think, why did Matt LaFleur not go to Aaron Jones, his running back, who he paid $15 million a year? Very questionable. Uh, games like this just make Packers fans want uh, another wide receiver. Uh, 
seen the Robbie Anderson trade, you know, certainly need to look into that. And for the Jets, this means their young defenses look great. Quinn and Williams, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. My God, he's emerged. He's been kind of quiet uh, since being the third pick uh, in the, I believe, the 2018 NFL draft. But, you know, I believe this is his fourth, fourth or fifth season in the NFL, and boy, is he making a wave. He got his eye poked in the second quarter, but came back in the second half with the Pfizer and was just as productive. He's been a monster. Sauce has been a, a monster. Uh, he was shadowing uh, Alan Lazard in quite a few plays, and Alan Lazard could not get a lot going that game. Overall, just really solid play by this young Jets defense. Zach Wilson, he looks like QB1 right now, and it, he looks like someone who you can build a franchise around. So the young core of the New York Jets is looking really solid, and this is certainly good to see if you're a Jets fan, given that they've been quite dysfunctional over the years. This will bring us into our third topic, which is Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi was a quarterback coming out of West Kentucky, and he he is coming into this Patriots offense, uh, which was led by Mac Jones. But Mac Jones, he didn't have the hottest starts of the season. Uh, and Mac Jones got injured with a high ankle sprain, and now Bailey Zappi is over. He started twice. He won twice. Uh, the game he came in. Uh, was against the Packers, and he took them to overtime and had a really solid or had a pretty solid performance against the tough defense. Overall, with Mac Jones, with Mac Jones's stock on decline and Bailey Zappi's stock on incline, could this be something like a Drew Bledsoe, Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady situation? What do you think, Miles? Well, one thing about Bailey Zappi that a lot of people don't know is he actually holds the. Uh, record for most touchdown passes in an FBS season. He broke Joe Burrow's record uh, of 59 touchdowns with his own 62 touchdowns. He came from Western Kentucky, which is a smaller school, but I can recall multiple performances that he had against really good um, Division One programs where he absolutely put on a show. For example, when he played Michigan State, he had six passing touchdowns against them. Uh, this was two years ago, but this was during that record-breaking season, and that eventually was one of the reasons why he got drafted. And this does bring up the question of who's going to be your quarterback for the rest of the year because Mac Jones most likely is not going to be coming back until very late in the season with that high ankle sprain. That's a very, very painful injury and also one that can take you out for a long, long time. It'll be the type of thing where Mac Jones might even struggle to walk or have any mobility in the pocket. So he'll be playing through a lot, a lot of pain. And on the other hand, you have this guy, Bailey Zappi, who's now fresh in the offense, has proven that he can win games and also be efficient throwing the football. So who are you going to take? If, if Bailey Zappi finishes out the season for you, I think he's your starting quarterback. He's already 2-0 as a starter, as you said. He has four touchdowns to one interception. Mac Jones had two touchdowns to five interceptions in the games that he played. And in this next week, in week seven, uh, the Patriots plays the Chicago Bears, and they're struggling as a, as a whole. Their defense is all right, but their offense looks pretty, pretty poor. So let's say on in week seven, the Patriots are able to have another convincing win against the Chicago Bears. That means that Bailey Zappi is 3-0 as the starter. And I really feel like that is when you can assume that this is Bailey Zappi's team now. On the other hand, he could have a bad performance and maybe that'll like shush down the story and things will go at a slower pace. But as of right now, I think, like you said, his stock is rising. And the main question here by the end of the year, is this a Drew Bledsoe, Tom Brady situation? Certainly. Bill Belichick is one of the coaches in the NFL who certainly has the mindset that 
winning is more important than player development. So if Bailey Zappi is the player who's going to continue to win and win and win, you know, he might tip towards him over Mac Jones, who he's previously been developing to be the quarterback of this Patriots franchise. Uh, and yeah, it certainly just depends on can Bailey Zappi keep the pace that he's currently playing at and can the Patriots win? I don't think there's much more that Bill Belichick needs to see already than he has already than he has seen. He just needs to see it be done again. So if Bailey Zappi can continue to win those games, he may earn that spot. And I think it just takes one more game for this for this to become a true controversy. So if they play so they play the Bears this Sunday, if they win that, then I think this is a true controversy. And I think players in the locker room will start to lean towards Bailey Zappi the more and more the winning this uh, the Patriots get. Yeah, I also think it is important to note that with Tom Brady's situation, he didn't actually get that um, first bit of NFL action until his, I believe it was a second year in the league. He wasn't able to, you know, come in and win immediately. In that Jets game he came in, he didn't win that game. But he was still able to make an impact. And that could be the same case with Bailey Zappi. He may not be that great towards the, towards the end of this NFL season, but he'll show some flashes, and I'm sure he's already done that so far, and Patriots, fam, Patriots fans can confirm that. But it'll be interesting to see as he goes into a full offseason and into next year's season what he'll look like. Um, this division is also very strong right now. The Patriots quite possibly might be the worst division, and I mean, sorry, the worst team in this division at the moment. With the Jets looking strong, they're four and two. The Dolphins look strong, especially if two is back, and the Bills are Super Bowl favorites. But I'll just, I would just like to everybody to note that this should be a storyline that should be in the back of their heads with New England. All right, that is going to move us into our last topic. We're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to be talking about fantasy football. We talked about fantasy football a little bit earlier this year when we talked about um, underperformers and overperformers and players that were doing well. But right now, we're going to talk about some waiver wire pickups that you can add to your team. My first player is Alec Pierce, wide receiver of the Indianapolis Colts. He's only rostered in 20% of NFL fantasy leagues, and he's a rookie wide receiver that's looking on the up. He has 21 targets in the last three weeks. In those 21 targets, he has 210 yards and one touchdown. Now, this is a Colts offense that was struggling to get the ball moving at first, but I think that he's a rookie wide receiver that was getting into the rotation, and now he's in the rotation consistently. With Naheem Hines out, he's like the main second option when it comes to the receiving game, right behind Michael Pittman. And he should be a big target that will receive red zone looks as he stands at 6'4". So I think that he will continue to get looks and big play opportunities. I think that Michael Pittman will usually take the the main cornerback one from the other team and possibly might receive a double team. So I think that Alex Pierce will have the ability to win in one-on-one coverage. I think that he's a good option possibly at your flex spot. Yeah, certainly. We've seen uh, how impactful uh, previously in NFL fantasy uh, the wide receiver one taking up a double team can be. Obviously, that opened up uh, spots for that's opened up spots uh, for players like Dawson Knox and Robert Tanyan, who had pretty good seasons, uh, who, who each had a pretty good season where they were tight end number 10 or, ty- or top 10 tight end. So, yeah, certainly uh, that would certainly uh, I'd recommend picking up that. My NFL fantasy wire pickup and our second one is going to be Deonta Foreman. He is, ba- he is a backup running back or previously was a backup running back for Carolina. And, you know, with the CMC trade, that's going to impact his usage rate a lot. 
Obviously, as we know, Carolina has a very poor passing attack led by Baker Mayfield. So that so the lack of a true passing game is going to make the Panthers lean on him more. Uh, and just with a lack with lacks of with a lack of better options in this poor Panthers offense, he's just going to get a whole lot of targets. He's only forty. He's only forty two percent rostered, and that's going to rise quickly. If you have a weak running back core, adding a starter in general could just benefit it, just because of the usage rate. So I'd recommend picking him up. He's gonna he's gonna get uh, picked up fast, and you know if you're concerned about how he'll develop, just last season. Uh, when Derrick Henry was injured, he had fifty. He had five hundred sixty-six yards on four point three yards per carry. So he was pretty efficient last season uh, when the running back spot opened up to him. And I think he'll do the same this season. I highly recommend picking him up. Uh, and he's running back one in Carolina right now. So yeah, his usage rate should go up. I would recommend getting him fast because I think that other people are gonna scoop him up. But if you have waiver priority in your league, if you're First or second, I would recommend getting him immediately. Now, Alex and I have mentioned two players that are, will probably be higher on the waiver priority, but I have one player who's been slept on these past few weeks and I think will continue to be slept on. His name is Daniel Bellinger. He's a tight end for the New York Giants, and he's rostered in only 1% of NFL fantasy leagues. He is a rookie wide receiver, sorry, rookie tight end from UCLA, and in these past few weeks, he's been up in targets, receptions, and red zone targets. That's all been since week four. And he's found the end zone twice in the past two weeks, one in a rushing touchdown and one in a receiving touchdown. The Giants wide receiver room is very banked up with the injuries to Sterling Shepard. And they did just have Wandale Robinson and they had Daniel, uh, sorry, Darius Slayton show up recently in these past two weeks. They've had decent performances, but New York is going to especially scheme in the short pass games with Daniel Jones. So I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel Bellinger will continue to have upward of six to seven targets per game and also have decent red, red zone uh, usage. Although Saquon might have some of those red zone touches, I think that he's the number one option in the red zone, and he's going to keep on developing as the season goes along. I would think it'd be a good idea to stash him as your tight end too, or possibly have him at a flex pay, or if your tight end's on a buy, it wouldn't be a bad option to pick up. Yeah, only 1% being rostered. You'll certainly get him if you pick him up, so... Highly recommend going for that. And that concludes our episode. And this was our week seven episode. Uh, I don't think we currently did a lot. So I, I don't think our time was currently a lot this week. Uh, so if you enjoyed the short little episode this week, let us know. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.